Hey, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 192. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Uh, praise the sun. Praise the sun. Praise I'm your host, uh, Jared Weich, and no Chris this week, but we do have a special guest. Weekend uh, staff writer over at Dual Shockers and co-host of the Mega 10 Marathon podcast, Alisa James. Hello, how's everyone doing? We're doing good. Thank you for uh, coming on, uh, especially this week of all weeks. We really appreciate you uh, being able to come on. Um, we've worked with Dual Shockers before, people from the site. We've had Logan Moore, who I believe now is the managing editor, I believe. Um, close yes. friend of the show has been on numerous times. We've also had um, Tanner Pierce on. So kind of we're going to reach the point where we're going to get everybody from Dual Shockers on the podcast at some point. So <laughs> we're really happy to have you. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, for those listening, if for some reason you live in a bubble, obviously there's a lot of things currently going on in America specifically with black rights and Black Lives Matter. And um, I want to be frank and upfront real quick that I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to do a podcast this week um, just because I didn't know if it was, you know, our place to put out something when there's a lot more important things happening. And um, I've had Elisa on the, I have this Rolodex of guests that I want to get on the podcast eventually. And I felt that instead of skipping a week of doing the podcast that I could do the opposite of that and make sure I amplify black voices and do my part. So I reached out to Elisa. She was kind enough to accept the invitation to come on. So, um, yeah, we're going to have some really cool topics. Going to be talking normal video game news, but we're going to have a couple of topics specifically talking about black representation in video games. Um, one of them, uh, Elisa's topic specifically. So really happy to get into that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the news and, you know, Elisa and, and Dom, I want you guys to, after I'm done, if you guys want to say anything, um, please feel free. I just have a prepared message I wanted to read for everybody out there before we get into, you know, the entertainment video game news stuff, because there's a lot more important stuff happening right now. So um, here it is. So despite the size of our platform, I felt we needed to do our part in amplifying black voices, especially in the video game space, and especially this week. I'll make sure to do a better job on my end of making sure that I continue to help in shining a spotlight on black creators and voices. Do your part and be the active change you want to see in the world. Whenever you protest, uh, whether you protest, donate, or spread information and resources, above all else, listen. This isn't a week-long event. This is a day-to-day -day fight to combat injustice, systemic racism, and police brutality. Black lives matter because all lives matter, not in spite of them. Understand your privilege, acknowledge it, and empathize. Um, I think it's important that that as at the front of the podcast as opposed to the end i think people need to hear that so um that's pretty good i, I don't know if elisa or dom you guys have anything you want to add or anything you want to specifically mention um but the you know the floor is yours if you'd like to um no that, that was good man um i don't think that I was yeah that was excellent from that so. <laughs> okay uh <laughs> yeah i i we're, we're in tough times but important times and you know Video games are awesome, but they're not what's most important right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. on a lighter, yeah, uh, on a lighter note, let's uh, let's get into the video game news. So we have some interesting stuff here. Uh, here's the thing, Elisa, is that we normally don't have people with your video game interests on the show. You're very much a JRPG person, and Ooh. that's something that's kind of in a, a blank space for Dom and I. That's not a, a genre that we lean towards. So. I'm excited to hear what you have to say throughout the show from your perspective, um, because 
it's a total blind spot for us <laughs> when it comes to JRPGs. <laughs> um, so the first bit of news here is interesting. So EA Access is headed to Steam. If you're not familiar, EA Access is EA subscription service that allows uh, gamers to get early access to games and play uh, demos or full full portions of the game, but for limited amounts of time. It was originally exclusive to the Xbox platform. Then in, year, in recent years, it came over to PlayStation. And now we have news that it's headed to Steam. Uh, it was originally exclusive on Origin, EA Origin, which is their storefront and home base on PC. And along with this was numerous game titles that were also exclusive to Origin on PC coming over to Steam. Um, I, I find this news interesting because going into the next generation, I wonder if EA is seeing that they'd get greater returns having it available everywhere. I wonder if maybe Origin as a service isn't doing what they want it to do, right? Then moving it over to Steam, which is the biggest platform for PC. I don't know if either of you guys have an opinion on this. I just thought it was interesting that they're making this move now as we enter the next generation of kind of making their stuff readily available to the PC gaming audience in general, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Actually, it seems honestly like, like you said, most likely uh, Origins isn't getting those kind of returns that they wanted throughout this generation. So I think kind of to start like you know fresh, uh, start anew, they they want to kind of prepare for next generation by bringing in like a slew of uh, new players, a new player base, and expand on the people using the subscription service by bringing it to Steam. Which, you know, financially uh, makes a lot of sense because, like you said, Steam is by far the largest, um, uh, uh, you know, it service for PC gaming. I mean, beyond the lion's share market. So, uh, I mean, and I'm sure they've worked out, you know, deals with, um, I'm sure EA's worked out deals with Valve in terms of making sure that their financial return from this deal would be you know, more than beneficial for them. So it'll be interesting to see the numbers too. Like if they're if people subscribing will uh, significantly uh, climb after this, the service is released on Steam. Yeah, yeah that's I a good mean, point. I wonder, go ahead. Uh, we've talked about before, like Steam takes or whatever the percentage is, 30, 30% of uh, sales from uh, the publishers or whatever who put their game on the platform, right? So I wonder if, you know, EA being a bigger publisher, maybe they were able to negotiate a, a lower rate or something like that potentially. But um, this, I, I can see this also being kind of to contrast uh, the Epic Game Store, where a lot of people are kind of upset when games are exclusive on that platform specifically. I don't really have a problem with it myself, but maybe EA <laughs> is trying to like do the opposite, like get in more places, right? Yeah, that's always the the exclusivity thing has always been odd, and we've talked about it at length that. On PC, you just have to download another client, whereas with console, you have to make a $300 plus purchase, right, if something is exclusive. So I've always found that argument of being, I get it, but it's it's always rang kind of odd to me. Um, the other thing here is we've talked about how EA Access, how that's going to combat against Xbox Game Pass, right? I wonder if maybe we see a collaboration there where EA kind of works with Xbox to bring some of those titles to Game Pass. Um, and if they get a larger cut from it, who knows? Um, the next bit of news. In your Twitter header, Alisa, I noticed that you had Pokemon. Uh, you had the three starters from, I think, <laughs> the Alolan region. Um, yeah. 
I'm a huge Pokemon fan as well. I think Dom is more lapsed than both of us, but we got some news regarding the new DLC Isle of Armor for Sword and Shield. Um, some interesting stuff. So it's going to be coming out June 17th, which is a bit earlier than most people anticipated. Most people thought it was going to come towards the end of the month. On top of that, we got the first look at the Galarian Slowbro, which was partially teased because when the DLC was announced, uh, anybody who purchased Sword or Shield got uh, the opportunity to obtain a Galarian Slowpoke, which is pretty much a Slowpoke with a yellowish tail. And uh, one of the cooler parts, I know you as a, a Gen 1-er, Dom, we got the information on the Galarian versions of the legendary birds from the Kanto region. That being Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres. And their forms are not going to be their normal selves. So Articuno is no longer Ice-type. It's going to be a Psychic and Flying. Zapdos trades in the Electricity for a Fighting Flying Dual-type. And Moltres trades in its Fire for Dark and Flying. Uh, there's plenty of other information. So if you want to know more about the DLC specifically of, in terms of Pokemon that were missing from the National Pokedex um, when the game originally released, as well as some of the new legendary Pokemon that you'll be able to get your hands on, definitely check it out. I'm excited. Um, this is going to be a nice palate cleanser for me as we get towards The Last of Us Part 2 to have some Pokemon DLC to get into. Um, Alisa, how do you feel about this DLC? Are you planning on getting it? Are you interested? Uh, well, first, uh, I'll tell you that I uh, pre-ordered it. <laughs> awesome, so, awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been literally playing Pokemon uh, since Gen 1, um, since I was a, a little kid. And Pokemon is one of my favorite franchises ever. It's it's actually kind of a comfort franchise for me. So I know when they actually just broke the news of the uh, release date, I was absolutely ecstatic, you know. And it's it's kind of nice getting something that, like, comforting and lighthearted, you know, uh, especially dealing with uh, current events. So I know I am absolutely looking forward to playing this. Like, I've been so excited for months. <laughs> Uh, one thing we didn't mention, too, is this is a different approach for Pokemon. Normally, we get the third version of the game, right, that comes with added bonus content, mostly endgame content, right, and it's a new package to purchase. Whereas this is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first time they've done standalone DLC that doesn't require a full-on purchase of a new game. Um, yeah, and it's partially probably due to the Switch platform, right? Um, it's... I'm excited to see how expansive this is. I don't. I think the pricing was pretty justified. I, I pre-purchased as well. Um, I'm with you. It is a comfort food to me. It's, you know, people often complain that the game doesn't evolve enough, and there is validity to those claims, but it is a franchise that I know what I'm getting whenever a new one comes out. And to some people, that might be a negative, but to me, it is that comfort food. It is something I know I can come back to and just have a good time with. So I'm with you on that, 100%. Uh, Dom, I remember I I remember us talking about Kingdoms of Amalar, but I don't remember if have you played it. <clears throat> so for I think ten hours or so, I I bought it on PC like a, years ago, um, but never got anywhere close to finishing it. Um, so this next news piece that you're about to get into, I'm pretty excited for. Yeah, so it's it's definitely one of those games I'd heard great things about and never got around to. And what we're talking about is Kingdoms of Amalar Reckoning. Uh, Via a Microsoft leak, we have news of a remaster titled Kingdoms of Amalar Re-Reckoning. Uh, and it's appeared on the Microsoft storefront. Along with screenshots of the game is a release date of August 18th, 2020. 
It will be $40 and will release on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. THQ Nordic will be the publisher whose spokesperson confirmed the validity of the leaks. I find this interesting for two reasons. One, not only do we have a second remaster coming out in August alongside Mafia, uh, Mafia Remastered, it leaked literally the same way. If you guys remember, the Mafia leaks happened because of a Microsoft Store page, um, which is really funny. I'm kind of bummed that it's not also coming out on next-gen consoles, but at the same time with how open Xbox has been uh, with backwards compatibility, I'm assuming you'll be able to play this probably uh, you know, on your Xbox Series X as well. I'm intrigued as to how well this holds up or not. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, listeners, what happened with Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning is Kurt Schilling, who is a Hall of Fame baseball player, created the studio called 38 Studios, I believe, and they went bankrupt and kind of got sued by the state of Rhode Island, and the rights for Kingdoms of Avalar got sold off to THQ Nordic. So that's why they're the ones publishing it now. Um, yeah, I'm interested in this game. Dom, you said you are as well. Alisa, have you played Kingdoms of Amalur? Are you interested in maybe checking out this remaster? Um, well, I've actually never played this title before, but okay. yeah, I have to admit, the way it looks... Um, I would definitely love to try it out. Um, I'm always pretty much open to these uh, kinds of titles. So, you know, I would definitely, you know, and I'm always open to RPGs. I mean, I tend to go more towards JRPGs, but a good Western to me is, um, you know, I, I'm definitely eager to uh, go with that as well. So I, I love to see, like, why it's such a, a classic among uh, players. Yeah, it's such a cult classic too because it didn't sell particularly well, but people who have played it love it and talk about it so, so highly. Yeah, there, its strength is definitely in like the combat. It's very actiony um, and and fast, and, and it feels really tight and good. It's kind of like a like a like one of the original God of War games. It's kind of like got that action feel to it, but more varied, um, like you might hmm. find in, in an RPG. Yeah. I wonder if this is them dipping their toes to see if there's enough there to do a follow-up sequel. Because I do think if this game sells well enough, THQ Nordic, we know that they have a, a heavy thumb in terms of green lighting stuff, right? They have so many games in development they've talked about, and none of them have come out yet. So if this sells well enough, I could totally see them green lighting a follow-up project. I, you know, screenshots are fine and well, but I think we need to see this running to see how extensive the remaster is, if it oh, is definitely. just an upgrade in visuals or if there's some modernizing in terms of the mechanics, you know? So as more information becomes available, we'll see. Uh, the last thing I forgot to mention, it's only going to be $40, which is good. It's always weird when these remasters, if they're not done uh, really well, if they're not a full on remake, they come out at 60, you know? So looking at you links awakening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even though I paid 60 and loved every moment yeah. of that game, but Jesus, Nintendo. Um, yeah, so that's it for that story. The last thing is uh, another leak, uh, also having to do with Xbox. Uh, Xbox's new store layout. So the new Xbox store design, codenamed Mercury, has leaked. The updated look will roll out to both Xbox One and Series X. It features a more open and less cluttered design that makes information clearer and more readable. Uh, obviously, it's unclear whether this new design approach will find its way into the rest of the next-gen consoles, UI navigation, or if it's simply for the storefront. Um, but I thought it was pretty neat. I don't know if either of you had a chance to check it out. Uh, as somebody who actively uses my Xbox, I'm not as frustrated with the storefront as, as most people are, but it definitely needs updating. And from what we're seeing in the, because it's actually a leaked video with the images uh, as well, 
it looks cleaner, it looks more modern, it looks more futuristic, and I do think a problem with both PlayStation and Xbox is their storefronts have become so cluttered, it's hard to get the information you specifically want, and I do think it's time that we reach a, reach a design approach where less is more, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it, and if you guys have opinions on it, or experiences with, you know, the storefronts being cluttered at all, uh, Elisa? So um, I'm I'm a bit more familiar with the uh, PlayStation uh, uh, Four for, uh, storefront, and I have to agree. I think one of the major uh, negatives of it is it's extremely cluttered. It's extremely difficult to navigate, and like you said, find uh, what you need to find. And from what I have, um, you know, dabbled with with the uh, Xbox One, I feel like to a lesser extent they did suffer from that same issue. So one, I'm I'm looking at the uh, the new formatting. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Like I love it. I hope that once you dive into it, it's just as intuitive as it looks. But I think so far, like you said, this is a great uh, step in the right direction. And what I hope is that when this releases, this will push uh, Sony to finally update their storefront again and and make it much easier to navigate. So I'm going to say this. I think it was much easier to work with on the PlayStation 3. I don't know what happened, but as soon as as soon as like it kind of got into the end of the PlayStation 3 life cycle, when the PlayStation 4, they just updated and it was absolutely atrocious. And so I really hope that they uh, take a, a leaf, you know, a page out of uh, Microsoft's book here and decide to actually overhaul their own. Yeah, I mean, another point, too, to this, uh, Don, maybe you have a perspective on this, is our the, the storefronts and the UI in general should be faster with NextGen because they're both going to be running SSDs now, too, right? So along with these updated designs, we should have less stuttering and hiccup, we hope, at least. <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually rarely ever... I don't, I don't think I've ever actually even bought anything from the PlayStation actual storefront on the console, and I rarely go in there at all. Um, the few times I have, I, it's not great. It's you get you know a lot of big ads, you know a lot of big like, this is the new game that came out this week, big poster type things. And I, I don't know. I, I probably couldn't if I ever used it. I would search for something specifically. I don't. I don't like the way they have everything set up. Um, Xbox, I found even even I go in there even more rarely. So um, I pretty much exclusively buy stuff on my phone on the PlayStation app, and then even like start the download from there too. Um, Which is probably the smarter way to go with how convoluted these, both of these front storefronts have been it's probably the easiest yeah. place to do it is via the phone app. Yeah. And I've, I've gotten really used to it. The phone app isn't great for PlayStation either. I mean, it's, it's gotten better. It still has some issues, but um, it's, it's good enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good that they're Microsoft is making these kinds of improvements too. So yeah, uh, hopefully that uh, like you guys mentioned, put pushes Sony to do the same thing. Cause even though I'm, I'm not a avid user of the console storefront, this is um, it's good for everybody. Well, yeah, and then if the design approach goes towards the, the whole system UI, right, of the places you do navigate, you know, the home menu and all that stuff, um, modernize that, it, make it clean. That, I guess, I do have a, a good perspective on. And, Jared, you might cringe when I say this, but, like, I've gotten really used to the PS4 um, UI, like, not the store, but the actual, you know, where the games are and everything, and I adore that. Um very much it's a lot like the switch the switch is like a, even more simple um but the xbox ui man i just can't stand it i just 
I think it's. It, I think all that's based on what you load up and play every day, right? Because you get used to yeah. it and you understand shortcuts and all that stuff. Because as somebody mm-hmm. for me who I own a PlayStation Four, I played Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I rarely turn on that thing. I play it for the big exclusives, and. It, I'm not lying when I told you it took me about 15 minutes to find where my active downloads were to see how much more time I needed for it to finish downloading because I'm not familiar with uh, PlayStation at all. Oh, man. Um, and it is preference. Like, I really don't like the way the PlayStation home menu and all that stuff set up. But I guarantee you, you know, like you, people who use it every day or at least more often than I do have fallen in love with it. And it's just, um, you know, preferences. But both of them on Xbox and PlayStation should at least work in a very consistent you know in high quality manner so um yeah i think that's pretty much it for the quickie news let's get into these topics so the first one i wanted to talk about uh our favorite black characters in gaming and i think this conversation will work twofold because we obviously want to put a spotlight on our favorite black characters and why we love them and the games they're in but it'll also bring up the idea and the fact that there aren't a whole lot to choose from i mean if i'm being honest when i when i was starting to do my research because you know we play so many games that i had to go back through my mind of the games i played right and yeah exactly it it's it's hard to find um a lot of black characters in games it really is and some of the characters i found i didn't even really realize were black for instance one of the honorable mentions i'll just get into now this is one of my personal picks but uh alex vance from half-life I'm not a huge Half-Life person. I've seen Alex Vance, the picture of her, and I've never registered her as being a black character. Um, I'm assuming she's biracial. Um, I'm, I'm totally unclear of that. But, yeah, it just it's weird that, you know, she's not the main character, right? It's the guy who holds a crowbar, correct? Um, yeah. yeah um, and the, and the you played Half-Life, two. right? She, she's the main. Yeah. Uh, Elisa, sorry, yeah. what were you saying? Oh no! I was just saying that she's the lead character in the uh, the new VR expansion, um, the game that they released. So she she finally gets her um, protagonist role in there. But yeah, and she's the that, um, she's one of the companions in the original too. That's tough because it's a VR title. So like, how do you market that too? Because it's not like a third person game or something. Because um, during the whole marketing for Half Life Alex, I never really saw her. You know what I mean? Which is odd if she's the main character. Um, I guess we'll, we'll shift to our favorites. I do have honorable mentions I want to do at the end, but I'll go first and we'll kind of go round robin style, you know, so I'll talk about one and then Elisa and then Dom and we'll kind of do that. Um, I asked everyone to come prepared with, you know, around five, um, give or take, maybe more, maybe less. So the first one I want to talk about, and we might all have this on the list, uh, who knows, are Lee and Clementine from Telltale's Walking Mm -hmm. Dead. Um, oh, of course <laughs> yeah clementine's one of my favorite video game characters period regardless of race i just love her story arc it's unfortunate what happened to telltale um from the top down but they really hit it out of the ballpark especially with that first season of you know lee as this criminal you know going and finding this girl and taking care of her and showing that you know regardless of his past life he is a good person he's a good man and did everything in his power to protect her and God, it's so heart-wrenching. Some of the best storytelling in video games, period, I've experienced. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I love them both so much. Uh, I had both of them, too, on my list, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, too. <laughs> Easy go-to. I, I, since I already mentioned them, do you guys have anything else you want to add to that uh, about them being some of your favorites? 
I guess. Well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I guess I'll, I'll just echo again what you mentioned about um, Clementine specifically is going through the three, and actually I haven't played the, the final season of The Walking Dead. I need to get around to that. But um, going through each of those seasons, you kind of like get to be there along the way with Clementine as she grows up, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> and obviously it's a zombie apocalypse and there's the classic tropes of things that she has to deal with. Um, but still like it's kind of like a TV series where you're, you know, you're going through um, after so many years of getting to know these characters, you kind of start to, you grew, you know, with them a little bit and were part of what they're experiencing I mean, through the game or whatever, of course. But yeah, so that, that was something that was cool with Clementine. But in that first season, especially like her and Lee um, and their dynamic. And then the ending just kind of like just rips your heart out of your chest. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alisa, what were you going to say? Um, yeah. So as for me, I think um, one of my favorite parts about the dynamic is, well, in general, I'm, I'm such a big sucker for, uh, uh, you know, a male character who ends up taking in a little kid and they become like a father figure and um, you get to see that relationship game. unfold. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I think what I loved, especially with uh, these two, is that it was so refreshing because you never see that with uh, with black characters. And the fact that both of them are, in fact, black and you got to really see that 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 genuine love and care and affection between them and see how that relationship grows. And it was it was really beautiful, honestly, like it, it's so touching, as, as um, you said. You know, it's honestly one of the best uh, narratives in gaming, period. And there's some of the best characters. And they're just so well-written, well-developed. And I absolutely adore them. Which is, of course, what makes um, uh, the ending of season one just so heart-wrenching. And then after that, watching Clementine have to, you know, grow up so quickly. Uh, and you get to see that unfold because of the world that she's in and how terrified you are of her too. Even though she's gotten so strong, she's still so young. Yeah. Oh, it's, so. it's such an incredible game. Oh man. Love it so much. Um, I guess, <laughs> uh, Alisa, it's your turn now. Uh, who's next on your list, but you know, behind or maybe near Lee and Clementine. Um, so I, you might have this on your list too, but I have to say Barrett Wallace. Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I I adore him. I know um, his original design um, in you know the original PS One game. It did have the problem of being uh, pretty stereotypical. Uh, however, his character himself, I mean, literally has one of the best character arcs in that game, bar none. I mean, once again, you know that trope of seeing him caring for his adoptive daughter, daughter Marlene. Uh, seeing that softer side and then seeing just how passionate and driven he is. Um, and especially in remake when they do an excellent job with, you know, the voice work and um, seeing his actual like mannerisms and everything, just how driven he is. The fact that he went through so much unimaginable tragedy and he had this and he lost his arm and he took his disability and he used it to empower himself by putting this gun on it and, and, and aiming it right at the uh, organization, the company that was responsible for this, and that he fights so tirelessly against that company. Like, so, and it's just, he's just such a great nuanced character. Like, and as you go along, even with the original game, as you go along, you just find out more and more about him, his backstory, um, you know, his relationship with Marlene, with Marlene's uh, biological father, you know, it's just, 
he's he's an absolutely incredible character. So I I adore him. So Man. you're actually going to be disappointed in me, Elisa, because <laughs> so first of all, I don't have the perspective of the original game. I never played it, so I can't okay. compare Barrett in the new one to Barrett in the old one. I just know Barrett in the new one, right? Um, okay. And I'm also like we mentioned at the top of the podcast. I'm not somebody who is JRPGs aren't the genre I mag- magnetize to, right? So. Uh, I don't think I'm as forgiving as somebody who's a fan of the genre is, right? As, you know, I'm uh, pretty strong into first-person shooters, and I can likely be more forgiving of them than somebody who isn't super into them, right? Uh, right. For me, playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, I found Barry to be a bit of a caricature, but what I will say right. is I agree with you that the voice acting is phenomenal. I think the voice acting in that game, period, is uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. His relationship with yeah. his daughter is awesome. Um and I do think he grows, and I do think they did a really good job of showing that throughout the game. Even at the beginning, when he's complaining in the elevator, and he sees that Cloud is like calm, cool, and collected, and he kind of reserves himself too. He's like, "Oh, I don't need to overreact here. I need to like understand what's happening." Right. Um, what I do hope is that maybe he fleshes out even more in the sequel we're going to be getting. Um, yeah. Because I do, I did fall in love with all of the characters. It just Barrett to me struck a chord that didn't really vibe with me necessarily. But like I said, I don't have the perspective of the first one, you know? And maybe if I did, I would see the huge difference that they made. But yeah, I'm sorry. He's not on my list, unfortunately. No, no. That's that's not nothing to apologize. I mean, you actually brought up some valid criticisms. And it was um, a lot of other uh, black gamers uh, brought that up too about him, about how he's presented. Like the fact that, you know, despite that he is... uh, a very uh, nuanced, deep character with a lot of complexity. Yeah, there are certain things about him that do, you know, when you first meet him, are pretty uh, stereotypical. And I do think that is something that Square could absolutely uh, work on in the future. I remember in particular, I was reading something on Twitter. People were talking about um, a fan translation that was done for the original Final Fantasy VII and how they translated Barrett's um, dialogue which was like uh, more faithful to how he was originally portrayed in the Japanese version. So you didn't have like uh, that sort of almost uh, minstrel kind of sound to his uh, uh, dialogue. You know, it was, it it made more sense and it it ended up kind of being almost like poetic sounding. Like it worked really well for his character. And I'm reading it, I was kind of like, Man, I, I kind of wish that they did that with the script writing. <laughs> that so was poor localization, right? Is what it sounds like. Well, maybe not poor localization, yeah, you know but that, like, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, like it's much better than the original one, but they still need, you know, they still have to consider the work that they need to do on that. Also, the funny thing with him that I find with all the characters is like all the regular civilians in that world are like normal height and all of them are like at least six foot five. (laughs) (laughs) But his gun arm is dope. Like I the combat in that game is awesome and he has some of the coolest abilities. So, yeah, shout out to Barrett. Not personally my favorite, but the, the thing, too, is I think that's important that you have a prominent black character like that in a JRPG that's as popular as Final Fantasy, right? And the franchise has had, uh, from what I've seen, especially doing the research for this, they've had a tendency to have at least one semi-prominent black character. But Barrett, obviously, with Final Fantasy VII, rings as the most popular notable 
Uh, Dom, what's your your uh, first one off the board outside well, of Barrett Clementine? Did, Barrett did not make my list either, but I'll, <laughs> we, we talk about him enough, <laughs> I guess. Um, I'm going to go first with, um, probably because it's freshest in my mind, um, from Jedi Fallen Order, Ser, and I think her uh, last Sierra, name is Sierra Junda? Yeah, Sierra Junda. Yeah. Um, she was fantastic. Um, so I really loved that game overall, um, and all the characters were, were really were really well done the main character cow was actually kind of like the there was nothing wrong with him he just wasn't you know kind of the least interesting um which is not necessarily you know a, a negative but i found like grease and sarah especially to be way more interesting because she kind of especially like the way that game ended without spoiling anything but you kind of you don't get to play as her throughout the whole game you don't see her in action but you know she was a jedi at one point and you learn about stuff she had done in the past and um, stuff she regretted and mistakes she made and that kind of thing. But then at the very end, the very last like couple scenes of the game, you finally get to see her in action. And oh, it is like, it is glorious um, what she does. And um, you really see like a raw kind of uh, Anakin Skywalker kind of, you know, anger, angry Jedi kind of thing come out of her at the end. Um, and it was fantastic. That game was great. Um, and she was really cool too. So what well, I think with star Wars two specifically, uh, the only, before her, the two most prominent black characters in star Wars, in my opinion, would be Mace Windu, Samuel Jackson, obviously. And I forget the character's name from rogue one Forrest Whitaker's character. Uh, um, Saw Gerrera. Saw Gerrera. And they're, kind of over the top a little bit you know what i mean in terms of their personal personality they're very bombastic and kind of crazy and i like that seer Junda is very human and she has this character arc where you feel for her and you empathize but at the same time you kind of get mad at her for her decisions but you also understand why oh, she yeah. made them yeah. um and shout out to deborah wilson uh so i had seer Junda on my list but i also had as it's a pair a little bit of a cheat grace walker yeah, me too, from man, Wolfenstein shit. 2. Deborah Wilson also played her. Um, <laughs> she was dope, uh, you know. And I think Deborah Wilson is kind of one of the, and this is part of representation in general. Is we talk about the Troy Bakers and the Nolan Norths and all these incredible voice actors, and I do think people need to start mentioning Deborah Wilson as one of the best voices in gaming. Period, because. Yeah, Grace Walker from Wolfenstein 2 and Seer Junda from Jedi Fallen Order. Those are some of the biggest games that release big AAA titles, and she nailed those parts. Like, she kills it. Um, I've loved her ever since her days on Mad TV, if people ever watch that. The, you know, the sketch comedy show, the rival to SNL. Um, she's always been awesome. So, glad to see her getting great parts in video games. Um, Dude, yeah. Grace Walker was my next one. Um, she is <laughs> excellent. Like, because that, that game was fantastic, and it's a similar thing where the characters were all, you know, a little bit over the top, but that's that world, and and all the characters were great, but she is just fantastic. You, you meet her, like, halfway through, and when you meet her, it's just like, holy crap, like, this woman is crazy, and it's fantastic. Um, and that, the yeah, thing that with that, too, awesome. is that game obviously deals with you trying to take down Nazis, right? And the parallels to today in which we have these people standing up and being like, you know, screw your intolerance i am who i am and in that game she yeah. totally is you know i'm black and i'm proud and screw nazis i'm gonna kill every last one of them and so yeah hope. there um, is no patience it's excellent exactly i love it um did have, did you play either of those games at all alisa do you are you familiar with those characters yeah yeah i am actually um 
I actually haven't gotten around to uh, playing those games, but I do know um, of them extensively. And yeah, no, I agree with you. They're absolutely phenomenal characters, um, uh, especially uh, with uh, Wolfenstein, you know, because of how frank she is, honestly. Like, it's it's honestly very refreshing to have characters that don't beat around the bush, you know, <laughs> when it when it comes to uh, racial issues, especially in this day and age. So yeah, it's I, like I that, really uh... appreciated that. And of course. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. And that's okay. I was just going to say too, you know, also I'm a big fan of her uh, design. And of course, like you said, the uh, her, uh, the voice work for her is exceptional. So. Oh yeah. I, I, we forgot to mention that she has one of the coolest Afros, you know what I mean? It's like big and loud and awesome. <laughs> So yes, cool. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so my second pick, uh, this is also a, I'm putting them together because they're from the same game. And this is crazy because people forget that this game only launched with eight available characters. And these are two of them. So one fourth of the of the players uh, choosable characters in the game, uh, Bangalore and Lifeline from Apex Legends. Uh, mm-hmm. Lifeline is obviously the healer. Um, I believe she's of Jamaican descent. I could be incorrect on that. And then, obviously, Bangalore, who's the, if you're familiar with Overwatch, the Soldier 76 of Apex Legends. She's the um, the soldier character, right? Jack of all trades, master of none. I personally main Bangalore in Apex Legends. Uh, Her toolkit allows you to deploy smoke and grenades, and it kind of fits my playstyle as somebody who comes from a Call of Duty Battlefield background. Um, And I just like the representation in the game. Uh, You know, Apex Legends kind of got... applauded for it because they did such an excellent job of you know the game launching with not only multiple black characters but uh, multiple black female characters on top of a gay character like they made sure to represent in that game um which is astounding for a battle royale first person shooter right those aren't the type of titles that kind of do those things and it was cool on respawn for them to make that a, a sticking point um like with Overwatch, I wish there was more narrative stuff, like uh, an actual story campaign. You can get tidbit, uh, tidbits of their past and learn about them, but I would love to play through you know, a narrative like Titanfall 2 in which I'm playing as these legends, including Bangalore and Lifeline. Um, yeah, they're, they're really cool, and I, I appreciate um, that a game launched with you know those two characters because oftentimes people fight and claw for some type of representation, you know, so I think that's really cool. Um, I guess, Elisa, your turn. What's your, your second character you want to talk about? Um, I'm going to mention Shinobu from No More Heroes and No More okay. Heroes 2. Uh, um, I, I was I honestly surprised uh, when I first played the game and I fell in love with it. Um, and then I was completely surprised that, you know, she was in there. I was like, wow, I did not expect uh, a black female character in uh, this sort of game. And she's really, really amazing. I love her design, first of all. I absolutely adore it. I, I love how well she just sort of fits in with this really messed up world of No More Heroes. The fact that not only is she a top assassin, but she's a high school girl on top of that. So, um, and honestly, I was very thankful to that... Um, that Travis didn't actually uh, kill her, <laughs> oh, wow. which makes sense. Cause, yeah, considering her age, I mean, you know, he kills almost because that's the thing with the game is that after he beats, you know, the character, he normally kills him because they're all assassins. It's hey, <laughs> but it, it's great because uh, 
it actually opens up for her to come in in No More Heroes 2. Um, and she's a playable character in that game. And, and she has a huge uh, uh, narrative, um, increased narrative uh, presence in that game too. She's one of the, you know, the main characters. Like I said, you actually have entire segments of the game where you play as her. And she's absolutely phenomenal. I love that they kind of mix that sort of uh, Stone Cold Killer but then she's like surprisingly naive as well. And you kind of see like the childishness come through and um, she's voiced by Cree Summer. So amazing. <laughs> I'm not familiar. So, Who is that? Cree Oh, she's a very, very famous uh, black voice actress. Like guaranteed. If you watched uh, Western cartoons in your childhood and there was a black female character, she was played by Cree Summers. <laughs> oh, cool cool yeah yeah so she's yeah she's she's an incredible incredible um actress uh, with a really really great range so yeah so i i really really love shinobu and i mean she's just cool anyway i mean of course she's a katana wielder her attacks are awesome like i i adore her <laughs> that's dope I, I've, I have no experience in no more heroes so it's cool to hear you yeah, talk about either. it and that character specifically <laughs> it sounds really cool yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, is No More Heroes one of your favorite franchises? It actually is. Um, I I've been so excited for the um, upcoming third one that's come. Uh, well, it probably won't release this year anyway. But um, I've been playing, of course, since the first one. You know, play second. Um, I played this sort of in between game. Um, not quite the third game. Um. Uh, uh, but that one is excellent as well. And of course, now I'm looking forward to this one. I love it because the game has this sort of like ridiculousness about it. Like it's extremely audacious in its world that it's completely messed up. But it, the characters, you can tell the developers and um, they have a lot of fun uh, with it. You know, like when you play the game, the, the NPCs even have like really interesting ways of speaking. Like it's very over the top, almost poetic. And, 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 and then, you know, the main character himself, Travis Touchdown, is a lot of fun. I mean, normally the type of character he is, he, he would be scum. I mean, but he's honestly a really, a surprisingly good person, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and his story is really engaging as well. Like, you actually end up rooting for him the every, you know, throughout every uh, game that he's been in so far. So... That's cool. I, I'm thinking of maybe, you know, dabbling with it when the third one releases. It's piqued my interest. I love the, like, the teaser trailer with the superhero, like, aliens coming down. It was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And that gives you a taste for that's what you're in for. And the gameplay is a lot of fun. It's very boss-centric, which is really, yeah. really interesting. And I love it because every time you have a new boss... You never know what's going to come up next. It's always just this completely unique experience. That's cool. Uh, Dom, what's your, what is it now, third? Second? I, I lost track. I think third. Uh, yeah, not including uh, Lee and Clementine. I guess third. So fifth otherwise. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this was another easy one. A, a character from Detroit Become Human, who is technically a robot. Or an android, but um, still an awesome character nonetheless. Marcus, and I, I don't know his last name, to be honest. Um, 
He's played by, and they made him look like the actual actor too. And I can't, oh man, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in a couple of TV shows and like some bigger movies, I think. Um, but anyway, so in in this game, uh, there's three different androids who like, you you play as, and it kind of switches between them. Uh, one of them is uh, a woman who. Brian, just, uh, real quick, the actor's name is Brian Dechart. 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 Oh. Something okay. like that. <laughs> His last Maybe name I is very. Know. It's D E C H A R T, and I don't know if he's French or not. So it's Brian. Okay. We'll go with Brian Deschart. I think is okay. the safest. But um, yeah, so in the game, uh, one of the androids you play as is just a woman who's like, uh, whose owner like beats her constantly, and she's just trying to survive basically. Um, and then another is um, the really plain looking guy um, who's actually a, a cop android, and like he has a partner, and they. Connor. Interesting stuff. Connor, yep. There's some interesting stuff that goes on between him and his partner and how he eventually... Um, well, it, you choose everything throughout the game, so it doesn't always end up the same way, but at least in my playthrough, you end up you know, getting the partner on your side who previously was really uh, discriminatory against the androids. Um, but then the third character who I found, found the most interesting was Marcus, who his owner was like um, a really um, out-there kind of artist, older guy. Um, and he always like let encouraged Marcus to think for himself and explore his humanity. Um, because I mean, in this game, the androids are so, so realistic that you kind of inevitably come to the conclusion that they are human. I mean, depending on what everyone has a different definition of human, I guess, but that's the point of the game. Um, but Marcus, um, becomes out of the three is the one that basically ends up starting a rebellion among the androids. Um, so he ends up, some things happen and he ends up not being with his owner anymore, to not to spoil it, but he ends up finding this underground, basically, uh, group of androids who <clears throat> are all kind of thrown away and rejected for various reasons, whatever it is, and he ends up becoming like their leader and leads an android revolution in you know futuristic Detroit. Um, and there's, there's one scene in particular that like I, I'll always remember is he ends up basically in a dump um that's primarily filled with just old android parts and he has to like put back together you know his limbs that are missing and certain components that he needs and he's just digging through the trash of old androids and just piecing himself back together and it's like raining and i don't know it's just really emotional and he sees like some of the other androids partially working um but yeah his character was just super interesting to me especially compared to the other two in that game but um yeah he was uh really well done and overall i enjoyed that game but uh certainly mostly thanks to him so awesome marcus was his name in the game yeah yeah uh yeah that's another game i need to get around to playing haven't had a chance uh since we're going through our last round here i don't want to spend too much time for me specifically talking about one sp one character i'm going to go through my the, the rest of the names i have here that i listed so uh augustus coltrane cole obviously from gears of war <laughs> Very much a character, very much loud and bombastic, but I love him. He's awesome. Um, his whole past of being like a professional, you know, sports player and getting caught up in all of this. That's always been an interesting concept to me because whenever you think about zombie apocalypses, they rarely talk about what would happen with a top flight athlete dealing with it, right? Um, because a lot of times they're way more capable of... <laughs> Uh, getting away or, or, you know, doing these feats that an average human couldn't. So I've always thought about, like, like a, you know, seven-foot-tall NBA player, how would they handle a zombie apocalypse, you know what I mean? Because they're so large, and it's always interesting to me to think about that stuff. Well, 
I'll interject because he was the, the last one on my list too, and I, I love <laughs> that character. And there's one particular mission, and I think it's Gears of War three, um, where he's uh, on a fo- he finds himself on a football field and is having these flashbacks, and um, it's like you know it looks like he's remembering back to him being in a, in a game and he's like at the running back or whatever. But then in real life, he's actually like running through the locust. It's, I don't know. That was incredibly cool. Yeah. I, I love Coltrane. Uh, next up, uh, Jax from Mortal Kombat. Kind of like with Barrett having a gun arm, I always thought Jax was dope because he had the two metal arms similar to like a Colossus from X-Men. Um, one of the cooler characters in Mortal Kombat. Uh, and then honorable mention. So Sergeant Avery Johnson from Halo uh coach from left for dead uh, we talked about alex vance from half-life storm which is kind of a cheat because you know she's a marvel character but she, and she's been in a bunch of marvel games but storm's still dope um barrett who we talked about uh james heller from prototype 2 i never played any of the prototype games oh. but he seems like a very prominent uh character when people talk about black characters in games and then lastly this is also kind of a cheat kratos isn't necessarily black from God of War, but he's voiced what? by Christopher Judge, you know, who's okay. an awesome, amazing voice actor, and I think he deserves to get his hat thrown in the ring because that performance in the latest God of War was tremendous, and Christopher Judge's voice and acting played a huge part in that, so I kind of wanted to mention that. Um, yeah, that's everything for me. Dom, you already said Cole was your last one, so Elisa, what's your final one you wanted to mention? Um, my final one, and this was tough because there were so many, um, but I'm going to say um, Aveline from uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Black Flag. That was on my honorable mention uh, that I forgot to say. Yep. <laughs> Liberation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, an absolutely incredible character. Um, she has a great backstory. I thought it was a very interesting um, way to position her because she actually did come from a position of... Um, economic privilege in the sense that her family was rich so she had a comfortable life at a young age but then as she started getting older she started seeing the um the various injustices you know economic wise racial you know all that and she decided that she wasn't going to stand for it and that was how she got into uh being a pirate because she was going to fix that herself and i really really love that just incredibly strong narrative incredibly strong core as a as a uh, righteous uh, moral character and just playing as the game kind of seeing like her um her character arc unfold uh and she's just an incredibly compelling character i i guess my only thing is i wish she had gotten her own game versus being dlc um for black flag i mean i would hope that in the future that we could have characters like her have an entire game to themselves because honestly i think it would be incredible exploring the caribbean and that full expanse of her as a pirate and other historical pirates during that time um how they would interact with her you know dealing with um you know all sorts of uh the issues you know that that plagued you know like the racial injustices and such um so but she yeah she's a, she's an amazing character I mean, I'm wondering if they will go ever back to the world of Black Flag with the Kentways, right? Connors, Kentways. I don't remember what their last name was. But if they did, I would love if instead of focusing on them, she did get a full game. 
as soon as that game came out, there was a, a real big push for people falling in love with her character, and she's often talked about up there with, you know, Ezio as one of the favorite characters of the series, and now, you know, for me personally, my favorite character in Assassin's Creed is uh, Cassandra from Odyssey. I absolutely love that character, mm -hmm. and it seems like the, all, those three are always mentioned. It's Ezio, it's Cassandra, and it's Aveline. Um, one uh, character we forgot to mention as well, though, is in a pretty prominent game uh, was uh, the lead character in Watch Dogs 2, which also has the name oh, Marcus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, I completely forgot about him, partially because most people forgot about that game in general because it you know, didn't <laughs> sell very well, it didn't come out to great reviews, but I wanted to mention him as well. Um, yeah, and this whole conversation was obviously meant to put a spotlight on our favorite characters, and there's plenty of awesome ones, but also, as we mentioned numerous times, there's not enough. You know, it's it's hard to uh, you to think about your favorite white game characters. You don't necessarily have to do a Google search because almost the majority right. of games you play, you're playing as a white person as the lead. <laughs> you know, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully we see this in the future. Uh, a lot of the characters and voice actors we mentioned, hopefully they make a return in either standalone games or as primary prominent characters uh, alongside uh, other characters. It just we're starting to see a slow movement towards it. I mean, having Cassandra playable or even Aveline when she was in the DLC, that was kind of controversial at the time because, you know, we mostly had male characters. So now hopefully we move towards a place yeah. where we focus on racial diversity and not just, you know, gender diversity uh, with the leads as well. So um, I guess now it's time for Elisa's topic. I want to, you know, give you the, the reins to introduce it and let us know what exactly you want to talk about and why. So... Go ahead. Okay, so, um, you know, as mentioned earlier, um, the topic that I wanted to, uh, you know, discuss was character customization and specifically in terms of uh, black options. So, you know, just to kind of open up, um, when you're, and this could go for both of you, um, you know, when you're playing, when you're, you're, you're engaging in character customization, um, you know, how do you, how satisfied are you with those options that you have? Uh, honestly, the only thing I ever get really irritated at is they don't have my specific type of hair. But as right. somebody who's, you know, a white passing biracial kid, uh, I usually have all of the options readily available to look as close to me as a video game can without really worrying about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't typically have really any complaints. Um, I don't get too deep into those customizers that often. Um, maybe that's part of the conversation. I, you know, I don't I have pretty generic hair and uh, features as far as I know. So it's usually like <laughs> I can pick one of the preset faces, you know, um, change the hair color to brown and do, you know, like a, a, a faux hawk or pompadour or whatever. And it's usually pretty good. Well, so. And the thing is, is normally when we load a game, what is the default preset? It's a white dude, right? yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and i guess too so, the whole, um, there's also a conversation mm -hmm. of uh you know some people make their character look like themselves and some people don't right that's also interesting yeah. as well yeah yeah absolutely so um so the reason why you know i kind of want to open that is because you know in general you know when you open that up you're able to just kind of make whatever character you want whether you want to look like you or not whatever you kind of imagine and you want to see it's it, the options are pretty much there so you know among uh black gaming circles uh one of the biggest questions that we always talk amongst ourselves are uh how robust are the uh customization options 
for uh, for if you wanted to make a black character. And when I, you know, and when I'm talking about that kind of thing, like black options, I'm referring to the range and accuracy of skin tone, uh, hairstyles, facial features, uh, voices, things like that. And unfortunately for us, most games do disappoint in at least uh, one of those categories. So uh, some examples is sometimes you'll have an issue where the skin tone is extremely uh, limited. Like it'll be maybe like four choices, like one oh, choice God, of dark yeah. skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so, like white, um, a little bit darker white, a weird like... It, it's not it's not latino or black it's like somewhere in the middle that i've never really even seen that color and then it's a black skin tone that doesn't even match anything realistically either it's very odd yeah exactly and then those you know so you'll have games like that um and uh a big problem too will be that if you do have darker skin tones a lot of the time they're not properly lighted uh, lighting is something that is a huge issue for uh, black people or people in general with very dark skin um, because, you know, historically things like photography and, um, you know, things like that recording has always been made for people with light skin. So the lighting systems and how they record has been made to favor them and it won't record black skin properly. And that's an issue that's carried over into video games. A good example is if you play um, uh, Black Desert Online. Have you ever heard of that game? Mm -hmm. um, the Korean MMO, they actually, right? I think it's yep, Korean? Yep, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, while they do have you know pretty good options for customization, as soon as you put on a dark skin tone, it just completely drowns out facial features. Like you Yikes. can't see this person's mouth, their nose. It's it's very bad. And so that's and you know of course that's completely against how dark skin works because in real life, uh, light reflects off of dark skin, and you never see that like uh, you almost never see that uh, portrayed accurately in games. And, you know, also, too, it's it's very hard to even get, like, very dark skin tones done realistically. I think a lot of games tend to kind of stop at, like, a dark brown. And then that'll be, you know, about the range. Um, another problem, too, is, of course, the hairstyles. Very, very little options for that. Like, I mean, they'll always, and I hate this, they'll always have the joke giant afro that's not done properly. Um, they'll maybe have, like, they might have braids or dreads, and then those are pretty much your options. And then everything else are, you know, straight hair options. Uh, and facial features is something that's even rarely represented properly. You know, I mean, like being able to do uh, thicker lips, uh, wider noses, things like that. So even if you happen to have a dark skin, you can't, you still can't make them look black, which Actually, I've realized it's a problem for me because I'm light-skinned and I can never, if I wanted to make a character look like me, I could never pick that option because they'll just look white. I can't make any, I can't give that character any <laughs> uh, black features, <laughs> you know? So that's a huge problem with that too. And, um, and... And so, and I think the last thing that's that's the worst is that I think almost all uh, games with customization 
don't seem to have uh, black voice options, like, you know, actual voice actors, you know, black voice actors doing the voices. I think the only game that I personally ever played that had that was um, the first Dragon Age game. What was it Origins, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, so um, uh, that was the only game. I believe it was Cree Summers who or, or who actually uh, did one of the preset voices, and I couldn't believe it. I've never, ever played a game before that actually offered that. And honestly, since, I haven't played a game that offered that. So <laughs> that's something that's extremely lacking. Um, well, so you, you think know, that it's... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I think... The you know with these limited options, I would assume that two of the biggest issues facing it are, one, for some reason a lot of these companies might think that the player base isn't full of as many black people as there actually are, right? So they're not playing to that because they're like we don't really need to play to that, which is dumb. And also, it's I'm assuming that there aren't enough black leads in development houses that can mm-hmm. speak up and make it a point of emphasis, right? There's, there aren't a lot of black people in those positions to be able to kind of focus on making those changes, which also is an issue of there not being enough, um, you know, black leads in video games, period. Man, that's like a lot of stuff I would not have thought of in like 100 years, right? Especially uh, lighting. You know, I would not have ever considered something like that. But that's a, that's, yeah, that's got to be like especially disappointing when you're talking about custom, a character customizer. Like the whole point of it is supposed to be that you can make it look like actual people and different types of people and it can't actually do that especially when some of them are really good and really you know in depth and technology has enabled that but no one not many developers have like yeah put the time in uh, to actually make it accurate uh, or representative and that's it's crazy how privilege even extends to video games right like we're white dudes so we never really think of that we never think of like how is the lighting hitting this character because we normally don't (laughs) pick a black character so it's like you have to recognize the privilege you have even in that of like being a white person, being able to create yourself in a game, you know? So uh, I think it's, it's an important topic though. And I do think it's something that needs to be focused on. Um, from my experience, I play a lot of sports games, Elisa. Like I play like the annualized franchises, right? It's like Madden and 2K. And 2K definitely has a lot of customization options, uh, black customization options, which makes sense because the player base for 2K, I would imagine, is predominantly black. You know what I mean? Because the fan base for the NBA as well is predominantly black. So they make it a point of emphasis to have, obviously, majority of the people in the game you play as are black, you know? So it makes sense. Um, and I was I was going to mention this during the, uh, the, the, when we were talking about our favorite characters of, that's the odd thing too is most of the times the most prominent video game characters you see are whatever athletes on the cover of the annualized sports title right which shouldn't be the case we should also see them on the cover of whatever the latest triple a you know western rpg is um alongside that so yeah it's i'm glad you brought this up because this is a perspective we don't have and it's something like dom said we don't think in a million years of like oh yeah my color of skin that i choose for my customized character doesn't have appropriate lighting never crosses our mind at all <laughs> you know what i mean so um yeah it's would you say that's the issue as well as the 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 lack of you know diversity among development houses and having leads in position to make it a point of emphasis like what do you think the issue is and how do you think it could get fixed so oh yeah i think that's um i think there are a lot of uh issues with that i think like you said a major one is is the fact that there just simply aren't enough uh, black developers in the industry because honestly even if 
if you don't mean to, it's very easy to um, create an echo chamber. And I think that's what ha happens yeah. with a lot of these development companies. You look at them and they're extremely predominantly white, a lot of them completely white. And so, like you said, you know, it may not, it's not a malicious a lot of the time either, but it's something you never consider because it's something that, that never impacts you. So you don't yeah. have that perspective. So it's not something that you think, oh, maybe we should uh, try to focus on creating more of these black hairstyles. Maybe we should focus on presenting skin tone realistically and do the coloring properly and the lighting. Or maybe when we get voice actors to do the voices, we should have black people voice uh, characters too, you know? And so I feel like you really have that huge blind spot. And I think another reason too, like you said, is of course the assumption that, you know, that uh, the predominant audience of video games are white males, uh, which we've seen, I mean, it's just simply not true. There's there's a quite a sizable amount of people from all different uh, groups who play video games and who deserve to see themselves uh, reflected in both the, uh, the actual fleshed out characters and of course in character creation options, people being able to play as themselves or, you know, and create that character or if they I want to just create a character of their dreams like if i want to i should be able to create you know a dark skinned black woman with long like box braids or dreads or something like that and know that that her features her skin her her, her the texture of her hair her voice will uh represent uh black people so i think honestly the biggest uh, uh in my opinion the biggest thing you can do is not only hire more black devs and also make sure that the work environment is sustainable and um and is non-toxic that's another big problem too i think you know not only do you have people they just don't simply like look for black talent and they kind of overlook it you do have a lot of nepotism in the industry and then on top of that even if you do have developers you know who's to say that the environment would be conducive to them being able to express themselves and speak yeah. out without risk of um, a be being retaliated against or being ignored or ridiculed or what have you, you know, I mean, is, is that work environment really uh, made to, to, to embrace and encourage that kind of expression? So those things, those are some deep uh, uh, seated uh, issues in the industry that I think really have to be tackled before we'll see, I think, significant change uh, in this sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're dead on with everything you said. I think you're right in that, you know, not only is it important to hire more black people into the gaming industry, but make sure they it's an environment where they feel that they can openly discuss maybe issues with the development they're having where, you know, it's it's not going away that represents everyone who's playing the games. Um, I mean, to most publishers too, Alisa, you're kind of a double unicorn in that you're black and you're a female, right? Because to them, it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, totally on in their blind spot uh sorry don what were you gonna say oh yeah and like even from a, a purely business or financial perspective um it's advantageous right because i mean wouldn't you want to try to expand your market who you're selling your your game to right um by having more representation and, and offering you know adequate uh, customizing features and all, all this stuff like that's just going to make a larger group of people want to buy your game who might otherwise not right so there, there's long been like this kind of myth that, you know, uh, intentional uh, 
you know, diversity is like not good for business for some reason. Right. But I, I think it's like, could be more the opposite, right? Where like the more you do that, you're going to be better off from a financial perspective too. Um, I think is worth, I guess, mentioning. And it's, it's never safe to completely assume what your audience is going to be for a product. Like, for instance, earlier today, I tweeted uh, the day of recording, recording on June 4th. I tweeted a piece by uh, Gita Jackson uh, t- that titled Why Black Men Love Dragon Ball Z. Um, and it basically talks about like, you know, this is a, a Japanese anime with mostly, you know, white Asian characters. And it discusses why the black community would love a show like that, right? I don't know if you were similar, Dom, uh, but for me, I loved Dragon Ball Z growing up, but I realized that like a lot of times it was my black friends who I could engage with Dragon Ball Z conversations with more so than like my other friends. And I always I thought that was this. interesting because, <laughs> you know, I could relate to the people in Dragon Ball Z because they were white dudes. So it always fascinated me of like, I wonder why they're so into it. And it's, it's really cool because there's conversations of how like, you know, Goku's story kind of reflects you know, the black struggle and all that stuff. And it's a really cool piece. And I highly recommend you go check it out. It's on my Twitter. Uh, just Google Gita Jackson, Dragon Ball Z, and it'll pop up. I thought it was really cool. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is you put a couple of links here that I think people should check out as well. Alisa, which is dear video game character creators. You still need work. This is over at medium. I'll put it in the description of the YouTube video. Um, definitely go check it out as well as the second one that's over on the verge, which is titled playing red dead online as a black character means enduring racist garbage. Oh um, yeah. I've heard, which like, is a whole other conversation oh, of, you know, the yeah. gaming community at large, like, ugh, <laughs> it could be another hour long discussion. Um, I, I appreciate you bringing up this topic though, because it is all about perspective and, Dom and I couldn't have said anything <laughs> really about what this means and what the issues are and stuff like that, you know? Um, so that's all it is, is, you know, listening and understanding other people and their perspective. So yeah, I hope these companies work towards that because it's shitty that I can go in there and make my e-boy white boy haircut and make my character and you have to deal with, well, what, what's the closest I can get to what I actually want to make, you know, which sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least I can make myself unrealistically buff and jacked. <laughs> yeah, give me those abs. Uh, we, we we ran uh, rather long with those topics, which is great because obviously that's what matters. Those were important, talking about representation. So we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about what we've been playing. So I'll be rather quick with mine. Uh, so I've been playing Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. I read AC and I immediately thought because of the Aveline discussion. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons been working on my island still making it nice and pretty just doing dailies um like we talked about the pokemon earlier at least it's like a comfort food for me i just like logging in and it's an hour away from uh ev- you know everything going on and just be able to focus and chill right which is cool um call of duty Warzone. been playing a lot of that with my friends once again it's provided a good avenue for us to hop in and talk about these issues and have really serious discussions and frank discussions while also making dumb jokes and playing a first person shooter. And, uh, lastly, this was the biggest one. I finally got around to playing gone home. I know a little late, a Uh, little late on this, never played it. Um, played through it. I think it holds up really well for what it is. If you're not familiar, gone home is Fulbright's walking simulator. That's disguised as a horror game. And it's really not that at all. It's a really beautiful story. Don't want to spoil it for people who haven't played it yet. Luckily I was never spoiled. Don't know how. Um, yeah, uh, really beautiful. Enjoyed it so much, though, that I completed the achievement list on it after completing, uh, after finishing the game and rolling credits. Uh, yeah, really awesome. 
I haven't played. What was Fulbright's follow up? The one in space. Do you guys remember that? Mm, Tacoma. Tacoma. I need to get to that next because um, I've heard good things. Not as good as Gone Home, but that's pretty much it for me. The only other thing of note is I finished Steins Gate, uh, the anime, which is really cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty well, much shoot, it for man. me. Jared, you mentioned Animal Crossing being, you know relaxing and i couldn't disagree more i haven't turned it on in a month and guess who showed up guess who showed up at my front door with a baseball bat because i still owe him over a hundred thousand dollars tom nook tom nook no, i'm just yeah. kidding um no I, yeah I, I i already mentioned last week I, I fell off animal crossing but i have been playing uh, still nothing new to say about it star wars battlefront 2 i'm like i've won just gotta get to level 50 to get this last trophy get this platinum and it's still a lot of fun it's just a big grind to get all these levels but i i have been adoring that game the past uh, few weeks especially so talked about it so much already that i won't uh, i won't go on much longer uh elisa what have you been playing uh, you definitely will tell us about stuff that we is not on our radar which is dope <laughs> no problem so uh first one would be uh because i did a review recently i was playing uh shantae and uh, the Seven and Seven Sirens, which is um, you know a 2D platformer. It's an indie game from um, Way Forward. It's it's a very very fun game. It's not very long, but it has a lot of great replayability because of all the you know how expansive each level is, and there's all these different alternate paths and just lots of things to explore. And I mean, it's beautiful. The sprite art is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the colors are beautiful. It has a very fun plot. The characters are fun. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that, that one. Um, I've also, I keep going back to it, um, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, because yeah. I think one of my favorite things to do, I, I, I love micromanaging. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I'm one of those people that in Final Fantasy VIII, I love the junctioning system because I loved really sitting there and micromanaging every single thing about my characters like what magic would go for each stat and how I, I'm really I'm that person into the so, minutia exactly so I love that that in uh, Final Fantasy 7 re, um, remake that you really have the option to go in depth with uh, how you customize you know your material equipment um, how you do the weapon customization and trying to create like this sort of synergy uh, but between the two to create these really, really great, um, uh, to, you know, to, to really create like great equipment that enhances a character's class alongside like trying to figure out like the best abilities to use uh, with that. It's, it's just very in depth. So I always end up going back to that. And then uh, lastly, I keep uh, playing the mini games for Persona 5 Royal because they are so much fun. Like the darts mini game is an absolute blast. I mean, I actually, that's unfortunate. I wish that you could play it outside of like in game. So I actually had to put aside a save file just so I could play the darts mini game whenever I want. (laughs) 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 And then the other thing that I have been playing that you can play um, outside of, you know, the regular game is a card game called Tycoon, which is so much fun i mean it's a very simple card game it's kind of an interesting mix of like poker and and spades and uh so it has like it has it's very simple to pick up a lot of strategy 
strategy. And what makes it even more fun is how much effort, you know, Atlas put into uh, making is super interactive like you have all these little extra voice lines and everything depending on like how you play your cards and how the other characters play the cards in those rounds and it's just so much fun watching them like have these reactions uh whether you're winning or losing or if they happen to win or if they get completely cleaned out by everyone else you know so it that's just endless fun to me so that's you know stuff like that's what i would have been playing so I've, we got to hit this Persona Five game, Jared. Like we got to. So yeah, I actually I have this question. We had uh, someone on, another guest on earlier in the year, and I asked their advice, and I want your advice too, uh, Alisa. So I own Persona Five, the base game, right? Uh, haven't gotten it to yet, but I own the game. I've struggled with: do I start that? Because I don't want to pay sixty dollars for Persona Five Royal. Because for me, it's like I wish they would also let people who already own Persona Five like buy it at a reduced rate or something. You know, so I kind of part of me doesn't want to buy another sixty dollars game when I currently already own Persona Five. So, do you think should I start Persona Five or should I just wait for a sale and just wait for Persona Five Royal? Okay, so in that case. Um... And this is something I outlined in my own review. The thing with Persona 5 and, and Royal as well is that, especially until like maybe the fifth dungeon, it's a very, very dense game. I mean, you'll spend okay. a lot of hours going through it. So I can't recommend, unless you really love the game that much, I cannot recommend you play through the entire Persona 5 and then later on play Royal. So um, how I feel is a price, which is very understandable. Uh, is an issue for you, but you do want to play Royal, it might be a good idea to, um, you know, wait for a sale because eventually, you know, there have been a few sales already and eventually it will go down further in price. But if you really just want to have the Persona experience in general and like, you know, get engaged in the combat and uh, in the plot lines and everything, then Persona 5, you have it already, I think you could safely play through and still have a very, very good experience. So okay. it really does depends on whether you know you want to wait for that additional content which to me is excellent like i love all of the new stuff that they added to the game and how they fleshed it out more the, uh, the third semester of course or so but you know that just depends on the kind of experience you want and what you're willing to pay for that and it doesn't hurt that the base game is also incredible right <laughs> not just yeah so um it's been a great podcast. I really enjoy you having you on your first time. Definitely not your last. We want to have you on uh, def again later in the year. Um, but before we close out, can you please let uh, listeners know where they can find you on the internet? Okay. So, um, of course, as I said earlier, I'm a senior weekend writer at uh, Dual Shocker. So you can, of course, find and uh, my works on DualShockers.com. You know, not only do I write news articles, but I write editorial tutorials, interviews, previews, reviews, all sorts of things. Uh, it's a great site in general if you want like really great up-to-date news from an independent source. Uh, I also co-host a podcast called uh, Mega Ten Marathon, which is basically me and you know two others will usually uh, will run through a Persona or Shin Megami Tensei game, uh, and we'll run through the entire game. We'll also discuss the mythology we'll delve into the plot more and the characters and sort of analyze and pick apart how well it functions uh, within you know the entire narrative so if you're a big fan of you know Shin Megami Tensei franchise or you happen to love Persona games and you want to learn more about you know the original franchise they branched off from 
uh, definitely uh, recommend, you know, giving us a listen. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a very, very fun podcast. So cool. uh, what's your Twitter handle, by the way? Uh, so my Twitter handle is uh, at, at uh, a James three, four, seven. So, you know, definitely if uh, you want to just chat me up about anything really like, you know, RPGs, video games in general, you know, feel free to uh, uh, at me and we can have a whole conversation. I love chatting with people. So, yeah, once again, we love having you. Normally, this is a part of the podcast where I would shill ourselves out and talk about our own links and all of that. But given everything that's currently happening, I thought it was a good opportunity to shout out some black content creators uh, that you can go and listen to after this podcast, uh, you know, outside of Elisa, obviously, uh, and Dual Shockers. Also, by the way, I think most people hear Dual Shockers and they assume it's a PlayStation-centric site. It's not. Uh, they cover everything, just so you know. Um, I love their uh, your, your guys' joke when the DualSense was announced. They're like, oh, guess we're DualSensors now. That was really funny. Uh, so, yeah, these black uh, creators, you may have heard of some of them. You may have not have heard of others. Um, but we have Khalif Adams, who hosts the Spawn on Me podcast. Uh, I want to specifically mention the last episode they had, which was a roundtable discussion with fellow black content creators, including some of the other names I'll list. And they just had an open dialogue about the current situation, you know, with Black Lives Matter. And uh, a specific topic they got into is how a lot of these non-black creators are choosing a side in terms of either talking about it realistically and making a change or avoiding it so they don't lose sponsorships or ad deals, right? So I thought that was a really interesting discussion because, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, the biggest content creators on these sites are non-black folks, and it is up to them to use those platforms to speak for those who are unheard. So I thought it was a really fantastic podcast. Uh, definitely go check it out. He's also had the pleasure of recently being on Podcast Unlocked for IGN and stuff, and He's an awesome guy, uh, really funny. Uh, don't eat his ribs, I guess, according to some people. Uh, there's a beef going between a couple of creators about, about their ribs. It's really funny. Uh, next up, Blessing Adi Oye Jr. Uh, of Kind of Funny, formerly of OK Beast. Really dope. Uh, it also uh, has been in a lot of these discussions recently. Uh, you can see him on Kind of Funny Games Daily almost you know, four to five times a week on their uh, daily news show. Um, he's younger, uh, so he kind of skews towards, uh, that demographic in terms of gaming, but, uh, I think he does a really good job of, you know, going back and trying older games and just a really dope younger voice, especially a black voice to have in the industry right now that's prominent is really important. So definitely check him out. Uh, Rihanna of What's Good Games. She was a new addition to the team. What's Good Games is an all female, uh, you know, gaming podcast and she was the most recent addition. She also works for Xbox and she was also featured on Inside Gaming this week, which is Rooster Teeth's uh, gaming news uh, brand. You can follow her at Rihanna Tweets now. Um, really great follow. And lastly, which is something Elise is a part of, which is Black Girl Gamers. You can follow at Black Girl Gamers. It's a community focused on heightening black women's voices in gaming. Uh, since you're a part of it, you want to say a little bit more about it real quick, Elisa? Yeah, so uh, Black Girl Gamers is basically a group, you know, of a lot of uh, black women in gaming, whether we're content creators, uh, de developers, journalists, etc. And we, you know, come together, share resources, help promote each other, things like that. 
So um, you'll mainly see them if you go on Twitter, you know, at blackgirlgamers.com. And um, you can see them as they promote, uh, you know, uh, some of their uh, Twitch uh, streamers. Uh, you'll, uh, you know, um, and you'll be able to see, you know, their content as they go live, things like that. We also sell uh, merchandise that helps support our causes. And in general, we try to inform people as much as possible about uh, uh, black issues in gaming when we can, um, as well as uh, helping to uplift other uh, voices of um, black women in gaming and tr- and give them that voice to express themselves and be promoted, uh, you know, in, in, in the case of this kind of industry where, you know, often we're pretty much drowned out. So it's a really, really great group. Definitely, you know, give us a look over at Twitter. And uh, if you can support us in our cause, check out our content. You know, we, we do a lot of great work, so. Awesome. Once again, Very thank cool. you for joining us. We appreciated uh, having you on. I can't wait to have you on again. Uh, maybe by the time you come back on, I would have I will have finished Persona Five. That'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that game's long. That's the only thing I'm fearful of. I know people it, tell me that that game is very long, but worth it. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Hopefully, Chris is back at that point. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Catch you guys next time. Bye.